Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Lana Reed, and welcome back to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. You know, as we discuss today's topic, I am so reminded as to why I'm grateful that I parented in another generation. Today, it's all about the kids, parenting, and digital literacy. Uh, But before we get started, just a few numbers, and if I get them wrong, that's why you have experts on your show so they can fix your mistakes for you. But um, it says 52% of all children now have access to uh, one of the newer mobile devices in their home, such as smartphones, iPads, tablets, almost all children, or 98% of them, have at least a TV set, 72% have computer, and two-thirds have a video game player. And uh, I have found out that exposure to digital media starts very young, with 15% of parents saying they often use media to keep their child occupied while they do chores. Six percent of parents say they often let their child use their handheld video game player while they are out running errands. And five percent say they often give their child their cell phone, iPod or iPad or similar device to keep them occupied while the parents are out running errands. My guest today, Diana Graber and Cynthia Lieberman, are co-founders of CyberWise.org which teaches the importance of digital literacy and digital media life skills to parents and educators. They're here today to help us big people assist the little people in becoming ethical, knowledgeable, and empowered digital citizens. I'm happy to have them both on the show with me today. Diana and Cynthia, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Thank you. Thank you. I thank you guys for making time for me today. I always appreciate anybody's time because you could be doing something else, but you're spending it with me. So thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) So you two ladies met while pursuing degrees in media psychology. What what, what actually is media psychology? Uh, Boy, do you want me to take that one, Cynthia? Go for it. Okay. Well, media psychology are, uh, it's the study of behaviors in relation to media. And both Cynthia and I came from backgrounds, um, Cynthia in entertainment and myself in video production. So we were really fascinated on media's impact on behavior. And while we were in this program, for some reason, we both gravitated towards education, probably because, you know, foremost, we're both mothers. And so we were very interested in how this, all these changes you're talking about affected our children. So that's really why we started CyberWise because we felt like we really had a calling to help parents and teachers get a better understanding of this world and give them tools so they can be better parents in the digital age. Awesome, awesome. So um, just real quickly, though, what kind of issues do you find parents today struggling with when it comes to media, digital uh, technology, and parenting? Um, You know, it's funny because I do a lot of presentations to parents groups and I always ask them, you know, what's the first thing you think of when I say the word technology and what the parents always answer with are the names of all these apps, mm-hmm. Ask FM, Yik Yak, Instagram, Vine. That's the top foremost thing on their minds and what they need help with. Cynthia, okay. do you find the same thing? Yeah, I agree. And and the other thing is, is that there is a digital divide between the the boomer parent and the, chi- the children that are growing up that are digital natives, the ones that walk up, the toddlers that walk up and try to change the TV channel with their <laughs> finger, you know, and then the, the millennials that are 18 to 34, at different levels they have different concerns. Okay, okay. Now, real quickly, because, uh, Diana, you mentioned something, and I was on the website earlier, and I had no clue what it is, so I just want you to educate me. I'm admitting that I'm ignorant. I have no clue <laughs> at all. So this this yik-yak thing, what what exactly is that? Well, Yik Yak is one of these anonymous apps. And what that means, you know, it's a social media app that you can download onto your phone and you can communicate with people within a small geographical area. I think it's 10 miles now. And you can communicate anonymously. And, you know, there's some wonderful things about that, you know, for children who are shy and who might want to try out a new identity. You know, it has some pluses. But unfortunately, the minuses are that kids can be anonymous and they can do things that aren't so great, like cyberbully, because there's not the ramification of owning up that it's you doing it. So, you know, these things have pluses and minuses, and it's tough because parents don't even know what they are to be able to counsel their kids, you know? So it's, I would have been a, one of those clueless ones like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough. It is really tough raising kids right now, I have to admit it. Wow. Anonymously knowing, communicating with people around you. I mean, it, it just seems so 
scary slash creepy to me almost. Um, yeah. You have no way of knowing if your 10-year-old is actually communicating with a 35-year-old. Is, is the app well, discreet? That's a very good point because this app, you actually have to be 17 years old minimum to download it. But unfortunately, what happens is a lot of young kids like 10-year-olds, as you just mentioned, will download the app. And this is where parents absolutely need to get involved. I mean, we need to look at our kids' phones because, Mm -hmm. you know, if a 9 or 10-year-old is using Yik Yak, then alert, there's a problem. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So now that we're bringing age up into this, you know, from you two ladies and and your experience and education – what is the best age to start introducing your child to these digital uh, forms? Um, boy, I hate, to, <laughs> I, I hate to jump in again, but I'm, I'm kind of, this is a big, this is a big topic for me, but you know, everything you do online requires an ethical choice. You know, mm-hmm. you, it, it, there's big questions here. Like, you know, do I download a music that I don't have the rights to? Or do I upload a photo that might make Johnny feel embarrassed? And, you know, kids don't have the cognitive capacity to make ethical decisions until they're about 12 years old. Okay. So, so I feel real strongly that, you know, why would you give a kid a cell phone and l- allow them to make these maybe poor choices that will reflect on their digital reputation forever and ever before they have those cognitive capacities in place. So in my view, you know, it's just smart to wait till that 12, 13 age range when they're able to think ethically, morally, you know, judgmentally, that kind of thing. Gotcha. And so also, I I think that you need to know your child too. Mm -hmm. People have different circumstances if they're shift workers or if uh, they have a wide range of children or they're divorced or they're in the military. I mean, there are a lot of different reasons. And you also have to really know your child. Um, and w- we could talk about this even later, but there are some great products out there that can help you manage where your children are and what they're doing without it being spying and addressing them being uh, 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 like they feel like they're being spied on. Uh, yeah. That can help you track your kids. Gotcha. And, you know, kind of trying to understand today's world, you know, unfortunately, a lot of us are in these maybe single parent households or something. And, you know, you're going to work and you're trying to monitor your kids. So it might be easier to have a cell phone. But with a cell phone comes some freedoms or some liberties that kids have, you know, with access to the Internet or whatever. But I'm sure you two ladies know there are there apps or things for parents that they can uh, use on these children's cell phones so they don't have just total wide range access to to things. Oh, boy. I mean, there's some really great things on the product. I mean, first and foremost, Cynthia brings up a good point. You know, a lot of kids will need that communication device with a parent when they're young, you know, 8, mm-hmm. 9, 10. And, but that doesn't mean that they have to have all the functionality. I mean, there's a ways sure. to give a very young child a phone that just calls or texts. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's number one. And number two, there's some great, great products on the market right now. Boy, um, there's... Uh, Cynthia, maybe you could help me here, but there's a new one called Visor, and um, it's kind of cool because it doesn't spy on your children, but it only it it, it tracks uh, the terminology, so it kind of watches out for your child, and if it sees something like that's potentially cyberbullying or you know sexuality or something that you're uncomfortable with, it will send you an alert to okay. let you know, hey, watch out, you might want to check Johnny's you know Snapchat account because this could be happening. So that's okay. V I S R. Is a yeah, great is product. Right. Another one we like to talk a lot about is Kid Track, and that's um, one out of here in LA. That same kind of thing, and it, it, it's kind of cool because it has geo geographical capabilities. So it lets you know if your kid is going in and out of a zone that you may not want him to be going into. It also sends you alerts saying, "Hey, did you think Johnny was at Jen, at, at Jenny's house? Because guess what, he's guess really at Mark's what? house. <laughs> <laughs> guess what? <laughs> or if they're leaving campus, you know, it's uh, called geofencing. Let's say they're leaving campus and they shouldn't be leaving campus during the day. Awesome, awesome. So this, uh, the Kid Trap app, uh, it's something like you load to the, you upload to the kid's phone and you upload to your phone as well. Is that how it works? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And you can actually, you know, from your laptop, take a look and see what your child is up to. It's called Kid Track. T-R-A-C-K. Yeah. Uh, KidTrack.com. Okay. All right. Yeah. And then the final one, I use this one at school because I, I teach um, digital literacy, and it's called Copilot Family. And it allows me from one desktop to control all the kids' devices. Oh. So, for example, if I'm teaching a lesson and I really am not great 
excited about having the kids taking pictures of each other. I can turn off the the photo capabilities. So it's a, a nice way to manage their, them from one device. And that that is also available to parents called Copilot Family. Okay, cool. Well, now, one of the great things about these tools that we're, that we're talking about here is it's important to start with your children right away, especially if you have like, let's say you have a five-year-old and you have a 12-year-old and the 12-year-old gets to do certain things and the five-year-old can't. If you start younger and you are talking, you have the computer in the center of your house instead of in individual rooms and mobile devices have certain boundaries around them so that you start talking with them about digital citizenship and safety and doing things that are smart and let, and telling the parents that they, they won't get in trouble if they uh, tell them that maybe somebody did something inappropriate that they don't understand. They don't feel like they're being spied on. They feel like they're being cared about. And, uh, you know, if you start too late, it's, it's a little bit more challenging That's for right. the parent. Especially, you know, you get to that teenage year and you're like, Mom, Jeez, can I have my space, please? You know, and that is kind of uh, this this whole balance as a parent between being involved and aware and then just plain spying on your child. So you have to find this balance. So I'm wondering, is it okay to have the, give the child space and let them have their, their laptop and their smartphones in their room? Or is it better to have it in a central open location where I can walk by and see which website they're on? Or how much privacy or space do you give your child? Well, you know, the American uh, Pediatric Association, they actually have some really terrific recommendations for parents. And one of the things they recommend is not to have a child have a device in a room. And the reason for that is simply it's really hard for a child to disconnect. And they, they found that if you're connected that hour before, you know, bedtime, sleep time, it's hard to sleep. So that's one of the big reasons they say to have it at a central place. And that way you can kind of check in and see what your child's doing. And, and you know, as Cynthia mentioned, it's really an age thing. It depends on what age your child is. I mean, if you're, if you're not checking in when they're young, um, it's impossible to start checking in when they're a teenager. You know? <laughs> Believe me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a wrap. Now, you mentioned, uh, Diana, a few seconds ago about uh, you teach in the classroom, and today we know with a lot of technology, most of the kids have these tablets or iPads or whatever while you're doing instruction. Um, and there was this big, and I'm, I'm going blank here, but it was a news, big news issue recently where a school was asking for passwords for all of these uh, social media sites for the kids at that school. Um is this a good way to possibly monitor what kids are doing in school or is it like an invasion of privacy for the educators to have access to a child's social media? Well, I don't think educators want to go there. Really? Don't you think they have enough work to do just to teach in the classroom? And, yes. and, and frankly, that's, you know, that's not the right approach. I mean, you know, the best tool that kids have in the whole world is the one in their brain, in, in between their ears, you know. <laughs> and so, and they're going to carry that around with them their whole lives. So why don't we teach them how to use that really well? Why don't we start talking about digital literacy and how to be a good, a good digital citizen in the classroom when they start using these tools so that they can develop these capacities on their own and they don't need teachers to be trying to watch them 24 seven. So, mm-hmm. so that, that's really what we advocate for at CyberWise is we really feel like, you know, kids are pretty smart, but we need to actually be talking to them about this world and get into their world and understand it and have them teach us. And hopefully together we can ha- all have a better understanding of what it means to be a digital citizen. And, you know, that, that brings up the point that we assume, I mean, people love their gadgets if they, if they have the financial ability to have the gadgets and they shove their iPhone, they love the glitter, they shove it in the stroller at two so they could say at four years old, oh, look what my kid can do, mm-hmm. uh-huh. understands more than I do. True. Well, no, that's not the, the right approach. You need to understand the behavior behind the tools. You don't necessarily have to know how to use every single tool exactly, but if you understand the, the behaviors behind the tools, you can help your kids become safer, use it confidently, and you can stay involved in what they're doing and still let them have their freedom of expression. Awesome. Awesome information for uh, parents and educators out there. Uh, we're going to take our first commercial break of the day. You two ladies stay with me. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. 
Hello, hello, and welcome back. Today I'm spending some time with Diana Graber and Cynthia Lieberman. They are co-founders of CyberWise.org, which teaches the importance of digital literacy to parents and educators. And uh, before the uh, break, we were trying to... Uh, uh, teach the parents some ways to uh, balance out the technology today and, and start to uh, show kids uh, the best way to be responsible with their digital media. Now, I was on your website, cyberwise.org. It says, no grown-up left behind. I thought that was kind of cute there. And I took that test that you guys have. Uh, what is it? The uh, 101 Intermediate one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. And so, so I failed miserably. Okay. I'm going to tell you that. Now. I, I, I but one of the things that I found out and it just kind of blew me away was that, um, kids eight to 18 years old spend seven and a half hours a day using media. Now, for me, as a responsible grown person, that's a job. Like that's, that's going somewhere clocking in every day. That's, that's a job. That is a lot of time per day to spend with digital media. I mean, is that, healthy <laughs> well the, i'm just laughing here but you know it's funny it's funny because the actual statistic if you account for multitasking is over 10 hours per day so it's overtime a job plus overtime oh my goodness gracious <laughs> that is a lot of yeah. time and, and you know it's funny because you ask if it's healthy and um again the american pediatrics association they came out with a study i think like 18 months ago that and their recommendation was that kids shouldn't spend more than two or three hours per day with media because over that amount of time, it does become unhealthy. And they tracked all the things that aren't so good. For example, it's bad for your eyesight, obesity, mm-hmm. obesity increases, there's increased aggressiveness, school work goes down, et cetera, et cetera. So when they came out with that, everyone's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. That is such a disconnect from what kids are really doing. You're out of touch. How can you make this recommendation? And then the APA responded saying, well, look at, we're just reporting on the statistics sure. here. You know? Yeah. So <laughs> we are at a very, our, our, our society is, it has a huge disconnect right now from what we the research shows is healthy and what kids are really doing, what all of us are really doing. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that at some point we find that balance where we, we do the wonderful things that technology allows us to do. But we also remember that there's some wonderful things to do in life that are non-techno, no technology yeah. is involved, you know. Wonderful things, you know, and that brings that brings me to. I went out to dinner last week, so the table across from me, there was this family, mom and dad, and two teenagers, uh, and it was supposed to be. You could tell it was supposed to be family night, and I'm looking at mom and dad, and they're trying to talk, but the two teenagers were like head down in their cell phones, and I'm like, this totally defeats the whole purpose of that. But that scenario, that scene is just so commonplace now and not only with children teenagers but adults we're all just walking around looking down at uh, our cell phones and and we are missing the actual interaction with people that we would have if we put these digital devices down um and you know and you like you said it's just a totally different world that we live in now and and we're so uh even though i'm complaining about it if you were to ask me lana give away your cell phone I, I, no, we have problems like anything, but that, no, I need my smartphone. Like, no. Uh, so, but, you know, it's, it's a very technology. It's a catch 22. It's a wonderful thing, but it requires a certain amount of balance that, um, you know, I guess we're all in this, this place where we're struggling to kind of get a handle on right now. You're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this. You, you're the you say we said 12 years old is probably the best age to kind of start introducing people to uh, kids to the digital media thing. So what is the conversation like? So here's Lana. She's a parent. She has a 12 year old, and I say, here's your first cell phone. What is the conversation, the dialogue that goes along with me handing over the cell phone? Do you want to take that, Cynthia, or shall I? Uh, you go ahead. Okay. Well, it's you know it's funny because in the in the real world, kids are going to have exposure way before twelve, just because that's how it is. They're gonna there's going to be iPads and computers and all that stuff. So one of the really cool ways to get kids involved very very young is to actually do things together with them. And for example, 
um, no one sends letters anymore, but we email <laughs> people all the time. So why not, when a child is just beginning to write, put that child on your lap and together compose emails to grandma or whoever, whatever. So mm-hmm. they say that that's the new mode of communication. And a couple ways that that's really great is number, number one is, you know, what I find when I see children coming into middle school, no one's ever taught them how to write an email. I mean, there's some, there's some standards. Mm. I mean, you want to be able to know how to, you know, compose an email because when you get to that age, you're going to be communicating with teachers. You might even be looking for a job in high school. So that's number one. And again, there's some great technology out there that can help us with that. One of the things we love is something called Kids Email, kidsemail.com. And it's a very safe way for children to start using email because you can see what they're writing and who they're writing to. So, so there's definitely training wheels before you get to that 12 your age. And that, you know, that opens discussion to all kinds of things that maybe they start using social media that's appropriate for kids under 12. There's the kids penguin, Neopets, things like that that lets them actually try social media in a very safe environment before they get to that age where they're old enough to use Instagram, all the all the social medias that kids love that require you to be 13 years of, old, of age. Wow. Well, now, and, and by the way, one of the things that's great about kids' email is if you are a parent who travels or you you have family that lives out of the country or you're a military family and you want a safe environment where your younger children can send pictures of their drawings or talk to their their family via email and learn those tools in a very safe environment because it's insular and everybody knows who's has access to the accounts that these kids are accessing. Okay, so explain to me a little bit more about kids' email. Is it something where the kid and the parents have shared access to or? Yes, it's, it's a tool that allows to for you to have your own email. It's like having your own personal Gmail with okay. family and friends. So it's your own insulated, you have your own kids' email address and you share it only with people you want and you can see who's talking to who and what's being shared. And it helps avoid predators and, and people from the outside that might get in the way of uh, you communicating with your younger children especially. Plus, because you, you know all the stuff now that comes across your email, <laughs> the junk mail. Yes. You know, you yes. don't want you don't want your eight year old getting a solicitation for Viagra, for example. True, true that. True that. Like, what is this? And like, I'm ready for this conversation just yet? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no problem. So uh, you had mentioned uh, social media there, and that's another one of my little pet peeve areas because I think even as adults, you know, I, I find that sometimes we overshare just a little bit too much. And I think maybe kids could get caught up in this trap of, um, you know, sometimes pictures they post are in bad taste. There's there's gossip. You know, you mentioned earlier kids don't really have the cognitive development yet. So there might be posting addresses and phone numbers or something. Um, you know, and that, that can be a scary reality of uh, the, the uh, digital media for kids. Even with this issue of, like, sexting and stuff like that, kids just don't know. How as a parent, because some of this might be uncomfortable for some of us as a parent, but how do you start that dialogue, that conversation with the kid to be responsible in making these these decisions to like, no, maybe you shouldn't post that picture. This information is your private information. We don't share this with other people. This is just your stuff, not everybody else's stuff. Actually, do you mind? I'm going to take this one oh, sure. for a minute because I wanted to point out something else, though. The parents don't realize that they are role models. Mm-hmm. So it goes both ways. You know, okay. they get very upset. Diana can attest in her classroom. Her kids are sixth, seventh, and eighth graders have been upset because the parents just post pictures from wherever or whatever. And, and the, these kids at that particular age, especially, are very conscious of their, of everything about, about themselves and they get upset. Mm-hmm. And, par- and parents bully too. So, mm-hmm. And parents post photos that maybe aren't really appropriate that could embarrass the kids. So it is a two-way street. Okay. Yeah, you know, Cynthia mentions it's what I see in the classroom, but it's also what research supports. I mean, research shows that actually adults share more personal information than young people do, and also that young people look to adults as their primary source for how to conduct themselves online. So it's sort of the perfect storm here, because if we're acting poorly or posting pictures that embarrass our children, then what's going to stop them of posting pictures that may be inappropriate, too? So it's really... Unfortunately, the onus is back on us adults to make sure we role model, as Cynthia said. 
Okay. Okay. So parents need to be more responsible in uh, what they're doing on social media. So, you know, like I said, we probably need to limit the selfies and the... Yeah. Um, <laughs> there. I'll tell you, you know what I hear about? Footprint. Yeah. Yeah. And what I hear most from kids, because, you know, the kids I work with are so lucky because we talk about all this in the classroom every single week for an hour a week. We talk about their digital reputation and what to post and what not to post. And the, the thing is, you know, they come into the class and they go, guy, I know what to do, but it's so embarrassing when my mom puts a picture up that I don't like. Mm-hmm. And that lives with their digital reputation forever and ever. So, you know, a lot of these kids will have a digital footprint that they haven't even had any part in creating. You know? I and know. it's, it's, you know, it's really not fair to them. They should have the ability to create their own digital reputation and, and things that make them proud of what they've done. Another thing about, about, oh, go ahead. No, go go ahead. I was going to say another thing about the digital footprint um, is that in my generation or the the boomer generation, knowledge is power. And with these kids, shared knowledge is power. So, uh, for example, let's say that they're, um, you know, it's a trust issue with kids. So they say, um, to their best friend, I trust you, so ha ha ha, my, my password is I hate Miley Cyrus, and they mm-hmm. think that's funny, and they exchange the information, and then they have a fight. Mm-hmm. And then the ex-best friend takes that password, and not knowing any better, because they haven't had conversations with their parents or at school, they don't know any better, and they do something foolish with their ex-friend's uh, social media page, and that digital footprint stay, stays with those kids forever. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's troublesome because at a young age, kids just don't really understand the permanence of things. You know, they just, they're really present in the moment. They don't know five years down the road, uh, the road or ten years down the road that that picture they took or those words that they said on, on Facebook or Instagram will come back to possibly bite them in the butt for something, you know, so... I, I, it just really seems kind of how do you I mean and not everybody has access to Cynthia and Diana to learn these lessons so. oh they do though we're online cybercivics.com curriculum is amazing on this topic and you know we're going to get to that because you know I think that you know educators need to kind of have you guys in the school and all that stuff but before we get to that I, I think it's time for us to take a commercial break pay some bills we'll be right back right after this Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back. Today I'm with the uh, co-founders of CyberWise.org, Miss Diana Graber and Cynthia Lieberman. Before the break, uh, Cynthia was telling us about shared knowledge um, and how that can kind of come back and be harmful to a, a young person as, you know, like possibly shared passwords passwords and stuff like that and and children not understanding the digital footprint that they leave out there in cyberspace um my question would be then with this is how do you how do you get a child like we said uh, throughout the day here that really doesn't have the cognitive skills at this point to understand the long-term permanence of things how do you start the conversation or how do you get them to understand think before you post well you know it's not really so different from just think before you speak you know Mm -hmm. it's the same golden rules that we were taught as children be nice be respectful don't hurt people's feelings don't say something about someone else that you wouldn't want them to say about you all those golden rules apply on the online world just like they do in the offline world so Mm -hmm. you know we tell parents look at think about how your parents parented you and just parenting hasn't changed it's just the tools that kids use have changed Mm -hmm. so you know just try to relay those same behaviors into the digital world and you'll at least be on the right track mm-hmm. you know one of my favorite uh, comics is uh, this guy named C.K. Lewis and he does yeah. this little <laughs> he does this little bit about um, you know bullies and and before yeah. when it was actually face to face you got to see the reaction of the person like oh that doesn't feel good but when we're doing certain things behind the comfort of our computer screens and our cell phones our smartphones we don't get to actually visually see intake 
the the effect that we're having on the other person. So it becomes easier to, um, you know, bully or you know, make inappropriate comments or something because we we don't experience the side effects to that. Um, is that is there some way to combat combat this in our training as a parent or our educator to say, look, you know, I know you can't really see Sally Sue was crying when you said this, but she really did feel bad when you said these things about her on Instagram or Facebook. Well, you know, talking doesn't really, you can't really just tell somebody that lesson because like I, he does such a great job with that because it's, you know, he's absolutely right. In the old days when we'd have a bully and they would see that it hurts someone's feelings, they'd see the feelings on that person's face. And you're absolutely right. We don't see that with social media or even online. So that's why I feel so blessed that I get to be in the classroom with these kids and practice these scenarios in real life. And, you know, the kids have to try these out on each other and see reactions and kind of understand that before they apply it to the digital world. And I, and I really feel like the best way to teach kids these skills is to have these peer-to-peer interactions where they debate the stuff and they try it out and they do role-playing and they kind of get it before they start, you know, actually using the tools. And, and you know, my our wish really is that every kid would have the opportunity to have these lessons and at the very least have these role-playing opportunities within their families, maybe after school, you know, this is not a one-time conversation. This is an mm-hmm. ongoing, let's practice, let's make mistakes, let's get up and do it again. You know, <laughs> This is the world we're in right now. Gotcha. Now, I'm curious because I know you two ladies are doing this, and it's a wonderful thing, but is this type of education uh, being taught more frequently in schools today, or is it still a very novel kind of program? Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> go ahead, Cynthia. I'm, yeah, I'm just going to say that when we started, <clears throat> our original intent was just to provide free access to information to translate and take the fear out of using technology for adults so they would not be afraid. I mean, we have lessons on there and our learning hubs, and, and then we have more advanced lessons that you can get from our site at cyberwise.org where you can learn from the beginning, like, like you took the new media 101 class, which is free, and it kind of introduces you to the whole concept and then helps you get there deeper. And because the company has, you know, we've been around for four years, things have changed a lot since the Apple iPhone came and mm-hmm. the platform and the ability. And now adults are starting to catch up. I mean, now, five years ago, you wouldn't have gone to a coffee shop and said, what do you mean you don't have Wi-Fi? <laughs> But but now that that platform is translated onto different mobile technologies, adults are actually getting more proactive and having more understanding about that. And and then Diana has been creating this amazing sixth, seventh, and eighth grade cyber civics curriculum as part of our our growth of our comp- of our company and our products, and developed this CyberWise Civics, which I'll let her explain a little bit more, where actually teachers can get the lessons and teach the kids one hour a week on how to use the tools with peer-to-peer training so they get a little bit of, of extra exposure and understanding, and they can actually teach their parents. So it's kind of a progressive with society that there has been a growing interest in this. Okay. Okay. Now this is a good and excellent time for mm-hmm. Diana to go ahead and do the uh, CyberWise lead-in and tell us what that's about. Oh, Cyber Civics. Cyber Civics. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Cyber yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I actually don't think schools are doing a good, a good job of this. I mean, and, and for a number of reasons. I mean, we are so focused on test scores that it's hard to find time during the school week to give an hour a week, you know, to talk about the thing that they're doing most, which is spending time <laughs> on digital media. And so, you know, I was really frustrated with this. So when my daughter entered sixth grade, I went to the school administrator and asked if I could volunteer an hour a week to teach these courses because it's what I'd studied in grad school and he graciously gave me that hour which was a huge leap of faith you know, that was five, six years ago, and it has now developed into a three-year curriculum that is being shared now. There's about 20 schools in the Western United States who are now teaching my curriculum, which is so exciting. Awesome. But the long and short of it is, you know, by taking that leap of faith um, six years later, our, our school's test scores have risen consistently <laughs> throughout the whole term of the program. That's despite giving up this academic time, but that's because, you know, we're really teaching critical thinking skills, which make kids smarter. And the second thing is um, incidences of bad behavior like cyberbullying or even digital drama have 
decreased at our school substantially. So a lot of time that the administrator was spending dealing with digital issues just went away. And so he can do what he has to do is run a school and not have to run kids' social lives, you know. (laughs) So it's been it's been just wonderful. And, And really, you know, I don't know why every school doesn't teach this because it's, you know, kids are spending more time with social media and digital media than they are in school or with their parents. So it's a world we have to address. Oh, yes. Um, so that's that's why I'm, I'm addressing it. <laughs> so you mentioned that it was uh, in 20 schools. What, what age do you start teaching this or you recommend start teaching this program? Um, well, we start the program in sixth grade at our school. It can start earlier, but that's sort of a good – it's a sort of a sixth, seventh, and eighth grade curriculum. And it's, um, it's online at cybercivics.com. And the way it's broken down is it's um, an hour lesson per week. You can run it all year, and you can pick and choose if you don't have an hour per week. You can just do as much as you have time to do. Um, and then the first years we cover digital citizenship, which is the stuff we were talking about earlier, your digital reputation, how to be kind online, avoid cyberbullying, all those social things that are so important as a child first starts entering that world. And then in seventh grade, we cover information literacy, which is really how to use the tools for research and for you know doing great searches and maintaining your privacy and copyright and plagiarism and all that stuff that's so important as they get older. And then finally, in eighth grade, we do media literacy, which is understanding you know gender roles in media and how races are portrayed in media, and then actually using the tools to do research projects. We cover different um, ways that they can make presentations and really prepare them to be a great digital citizen for high school. Okay. So you stop at the eighth grade. You don't have any um, programs for high school students? Not yet. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we can put that on the fire. <laughs> so we're talking about sixth to eighth grade here. Um and some education for them, but you also have educational programs for parents as well, correct? Yes, yeah. Cynthia, you want to tackle that one? Uh, I'm sorry, say it again, Lana. I didn't. You have educational programs for parents? Yes, we have We have all these learning hubs. We give workshops at schools for family workshops. We did a project with Verizon and I Keep Safe and the California School Library Association where the librarian, we created the tools and the videos to for the librarian in order to give these family workshops in the schools themselves. And the kids could come, the parents could come, and the, t- the librarians will, will show them different different digital life skills and all that can be found on our site under learning hubs we have free course uh, free information and, and research that we're constantly updating and then you can also take our cyberwise certified courses they're less than a couple of costs a cost of a couple of lattes and, <laughs> and you can go on and you can learn different things you can learn about balance and reputation uh, online privacy um, uh, online, online security, security. Online security and relationships, and they're they're very short. They're very easy to access. They're very interactive, just like you said. You had a quiz that you took, and mm-hmm. and it's a way to not to do it on your own time and make it very easy to learn and not be embarrassed because you don't know. Oh, because that was me. I was clicking through like, wait a minute, I got that wrong too, and wait, I got that wrong too. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> no problem. But um. So we have the the courses for the parents. We have the courses for the kids. So, but, and you as a teacher in the school system, Diana, do you feel is there some special education that teachers need to as as well? Or well, yeah, that was really why our cyberized certified courses were designed. Um, they're really great for teachers who want to teach these courses in the classroom. So um, they're under on, online courses on our website. But you know what I tell teachers if they're uncomfortable, like let's say they're going to do a unit on privacy, I'll, I'll direct them to our online privacy course, and literally in an hour or two, that teacher will have enough information to be able to confidently teach that course. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, that's that's why they were originally designed um, for those teachers. Okay. And the, the other thing is that uh, whenever Diane and I give workshops or in the, the, when she's given uh, presentations, like she was just up north giving presentations to uh, the Waldorf Charter Schools, and the parents, they really want the CyberWise product. That's really, okay. you know, the CyberWise certified and those learning hubs are really for anyone who wants to use them. And the CyberCivics 
uh, curriculum actually addresses the needs of the teachers. But as soon as the parents, they don't know what they don't know and they don't know how to find it because there's so much out there that it gives them a place where they can get started. And that's that's our goal is to leave no grown-up left behind. No grown-up left behind. Now, I believe that parents and teachers, they, they play hand-in-hand when it comes to making the child become the best individual, a best citizen that they could possibly be. But I'm assuming, and we're parents as well as uh, Diana's a teacher. I'm not sure if Cynthia actually teaches in the school system as well. But um, I'm parents have a different need, a question base for how to raise a responsible, a digital responsible child. And that is a very different questions, concerns that the teacher might have. Um, what kind of issues do teachers have when it comes to making a good digital citizen? Well, you know, it's funny because it's actually now mandated by the new Common Core standards. The, co- the new standards require us to graduate a child who is a competent user of technology and digital media. Hmm. So they actually have, you know, requirements to teach kids <laughs> these skills. So we're kind of at a critical point right now because these are brand new standards that are just starting to get tested for. So uh-huh. number one, they have that issue. And number two is um, with the new standards comes assessing children online. So, you know, they have this additional burden of making sure these kids are good users of technology because that's where they are taking their tests. So there's a lot of there's a lot of weight on teachers' shoulders right now to to come up to speed with what is being required of us, you know, in this in 2015. What, what and I, ironically, well, well, ironically, the CyberWise certified, which actually gets certificates that you can post on your social media and your LinkedIn and you can show to your administrators. But ironically, because up until recently, teachers really didn't tweet or really use these tools themselves because they're so busy in the classroom. So they actually can use the learning tools themselves to get familiar with the behaviors behind the tools so they can better be prepared to teach it when they actually take these take these cyber size curriculum into the classroom. Okay. Just curious, what, what makes a student uh, competent? What What is the scale we're using here? Well, that's funny that you should ask that question because the interesting about the interesting thing about the Common Core standards is they don't really tell teachers what that means or how to teach it. And so, as a teacher, what we do is we turn to something called the ISTE standards, International Society of Technology and Education, and they've really kind of extrapolated out what that means. And they've been doing this for a long time. But it means things like being a good digital citizen and understanding your reputation and um, ethical thinking in online spaces and plagiarism and cover all the things that we teach. Okay. In cyber civics, are what make students an, a competent user of technology. Okay, cool. Now I understand. I was like, how do you measure that? Okay, ladies, yeah. we're gonna take our last <laughs> commercial break of the day. And all that thought, we're gonna take our last commercial break of the day, and we'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, and welcome back. I am with the ladies of CyberWise, No Grown-Up Left Behind, Miss Diana Graber and Cynthia Lieberman. And before the break, um, I was learning about this this competence uh, digital citizen that, that teachers have to make students these days. And um, um, I had to cut you off there, and I apologize for that. But um, you said that it, it was – I want to make sure it's I-S-T-E are the standards that are being used? Well, there's a lot of different places, but that's sort of the the, play, the main place that has outlined what the technology standards are. It's the International Society of Technology and Education, I-S-T-E, and they have what they call the ISTE standards for students and teachers that – that more or less, you know, go step by step of all the different things that children should know in order to be a competent user of technology in the 21st century. Okay, okay. Now, um, before we get out of here, I want to make sure I cover uh, something that, um, a couple of things actually. Uh, one of them is when I was growing up, I remember in high school there was this thing about, you know, don't don't drink and drive, don't drink and drive. But now kids today have this don't text and drive um, issue that uh, they have to uh, worry about. Are there any, we talked about some apps earlier, but real quickly, are there any tools that parents can use to kind of assist them with making sure that their young teenage driver is not out there texting and driving? 
it's funny you ask that question because just last week I did a radio show on texting and driving, and <laughs> as, while I was doing my research, I learned that there's a bunch of apps to help us, okay. and I I actually downloaded one from AT and T called Mobile Safe. Okay, and it's so funny, but I love it because. <laughs> You know, in the past, I'm worse than a teenager because I would be in my car driving and hear the, you know, twi- the twits, the tweets, <laughs> tweets, <laughs> me. excuse That's me, me. Saying, Twitter and t- Twitter beats, and text at right? the same time. Yeah, and it would make me so nervous. You know, I don't oh. want to grab my phone. And now my phone is silent when I drive and I can have a real conversation with my kids. And it's really lovely. So, yes, to answer your question, there are some wonderful apps that I think every parent should have and every parent should put on their children's phone that drive. Um, and just, you know, Google mobile apps for texting and driving. My, as I mentioned, AT&T is the one I use, Mobile Safe, which I really like. Mobile Safe. Okay, so we've got a recommendation there. So, And it, it completely just turns off the phone so that the uh, teenager doesn't have access to even hear the sound. Yeah, um, the only thing you can do is make, get and make calls. I don't know if you can send calls, but I know you can get calls, and you can have, you know, you can put in there who you're willing to receive calls from when you're driving, but you cannot text or receive text messages. Okay, okay. Now, also, we've been talking today a lot about parents. We've been talking about um, uh, teenagers and young kids, but there's also this group of people out here, you know, that is causing a lot of hubbub these days. And uh, those are the millennials, um, and they have their own unique issues and concerns. Uh, did you? Uh, can we discuss what they might be going through when it comes to becoming digital citizens and the responsibility and all of that? Yes, I mean, uh, you know, K to twelve is a very important demo to prepare kids to be ready for the future. But they they leave the nest uh, and they don't realize when they go to college they're still insular. And especially if you already started with older kids, they're not as aware. And uh, I did a blog for a site called CSID.com that says Jennifer Lawrence is a millennial too. (laughs) And because, you know, her profession, her generation, she's what, 23, 24 years old. And, you know, and what she does, she shares her knowledge across all different platforms and never thought possibly she could get hacked. But mm-hmm. kids go to college and they don't realize that, you know, a lot of them, they don't, they come right from the nest, straight into college, into a dorm or whatever, and they don't realize that they are, they are sitting ducks for hackers to steal their identity because they may not take out any loans or try to get credit till they get out of college and they get out of college and they go, oh my goodness, I, I, I but somebody's hacked my identity and mm-hmm. has been using them for their credit and ruining their credit before they even get started. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of tools that are, that are also available, um, that can help you learn about, you know, be careful about oversharing and teaching them to not assume that their phone or their tablet or their lap- laptop in the school cafeteria or the, or the coffee shop is going to be safe. Um, and to not trust anybody and be aware of that the apps might, they might get viruses. And so anytime you can try to prepare your millennials before they get there, then that, those tools are also very important. And we have a learning hub on millennials at cyberwise.org that you can also access to learn about that. That was a good point because, you know, I think we had mentioned, uh, you know, and joking earlier about Wi-Fi, but, you know, you go to any college campus and, you know, it's always the scenario where you've got all these little kids in the coffee shop with their laptops using the Wi-Fi. But there is an opportunity for, you know, a breach in security uh, on these these Wi-Fi links there. And, you know, we just really overlook it. You know, we're just always, because we're such fiends for Internet connection, we just need to be somewhere where we can get access to our, our Internet and, and don't really understand, even as adults, because, you know, you can go to Starbucks and see adults there. You know, we just don't understand the ramifications behind uh, logging on to somebody's Wi-Fi. Exactly. And, you know, we're just as vulnerable because, like I said, uh, we, do, you know, people don't know what they don't know until they have a problem. But as an adult, you know, your your mind, your neural tech, uh, psychology, in neural psychology, your mind is not completely formed until you're 25. And so, adults know if I share my password or I do something, I can I can lose money or or I, it'll you know affect my banking account. But a 12 year old doesn't have that life experience and doesn't know any better. And often these freshmen or these college kids don't either. Yeah, you know, I've always said, you know, that's kind of the unfortunate process of the whole high school uh, curriculum is we don't really teach 
these going to be out there on the world on their own, some sort of basic things, you know, like what happens with the credit card, how you should protect that, you know, how the, how your social security number has some very devastating, uh, effects if you don't guard it. And then they go out there and they're like, oh, wow, this happened to me. But, you know, we just, sometimes we send our kids out the nest unprepared, um, when we, sh- we could be a little bit more proactive as parents and educators, um, just some basic life skills. You know, we're, we're more concerned sometimes with ABC and two plus two, but you know, sometimes we need a little bit more, more reality checks there. Exactly. That's so true. I mean, that's one of the reasons we, we do the information literacy in eighth grade or seventh grade in cyber civics, because we do a whole unit on safety and security and, and just really to help kids use the Internet better. Because I, I want to hear the speaker um, out here in California. You know, the UC system is really tough to get into now. These kids have mm-hmm. like 4.3 grade point averages. And I heard the speaker say, look, at you're sending me these kids with 4.3 grade point averages that don't even know how to Google properly. What do we do more than Google? Like they don't know how to do an efficient search online. You know, the things that they do every single day, probably a hundred times a day, we aren't teaching them how to do, you know, thoughtfully or very logically, you know. Google is my life. Google is so Just Google it. You know, critical thinking is another tool. You know, it's it's understanding that Google isn't always right. And their algorithm and teaching these kids, like for librarians who are taken advantage of often, they they help kids learn the difference between the textbook, the website, the Chamber of Commerce, the Wikipedia Mm -hmm. versus the Google. And a lot of that is getting flattened because of digital technology. And it's the responsibility of the parents, the the, the educators and the government to help kids learn what's right and what what is accurate and what isn't and to learn and figure this out on their own. Yeah, I think I heard a joke once like, you know, I, I saw it on the Internet. It must be true, but so many times yeah. that's not true. And we end up sharing yeah. the stuff on social media and then they get back to go, like, oh, you know, so-and-so died. And like, wait a minute, no, that was no. So it, it's just people just assume that everything that they see on on the Internet is true and valid and, and, and that – that's the biggest mistake we can possibly make. Not only children, adults, millennials, everybody, you know, to research it and make sure that it's actually something legit. So, ladies, um, real quick, how does somebody get in touch with you guys if they want to? Because you're on the West Coast now, but we have some East Coast people who probably want to bring your system to the school or have you come out there and do a workshop or teach a class. How do people get in touch with you if they want to get your services? Well, it, we're easy to find. We're on the web at cyberwise.org, C-Y-B-E-R-W-I-S-E. Org, and then also the Cyber Civics curriculum is available online at cybercivics.com. Um, and we're happy to help. You know, our, we do this because we're passionate about it and we really care that we create a world of wonderful digital citizens, uh, children and adults. Mm-hmm. So um, we're happy to help no matter where a person is in the world. You can also subscribe. We have a, a, a newsletter that we send out every couple of weeks. It gives you updated information on what's going on with everything from yik yak to hackers to uh, sexting to cyberbullying. Those are all the headline things and beyond. And it's uh, you know you can easily subscribe in, and if you don't like it, you subscribe out. But we don't share those. Of course, we don't share that information or anybody's information um, with the public. It's we keep that very private. But that's a good, another good way to get to stay up to date. And and where do they go to Cynthia to subscribe for the newsletter? Uh, it's as soon as you go to our site at cyberwise.org. There's a form that that pops up that says, you know, please subscribe here. And it's a great way to stay stay on top of everything. There you go, cyberwise.org. No grown up left behind. We are at the end of the hour, ladies. I've enjoyed myself today. My guests today have been Diana Graber and Cynthia Lieberman. Please, once again, visit their website, cyberwise.org, for more information. Sign up for a workshop, take a course, be involved. Uh, thank you, ladies, so much for uh, hanging out with me today. I've learned some stuff and had some laughs. <laughs> and I, thank, I thank you so you. much for having us. It was yes. a pleasure. Yeah, thank thank you for letting us share the word. (laughs) There you go. Thank you. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There is always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you all next week.